I want to thank you guys as a church. Um, some of you may not know me, but I've been connected to your church since it became Living Truth Christian Fellowship. Uh, and even before that, I was connected to Corona Bible Church. Uh, I kind of learned how to do some church planning in Corona and got, got some chances to make mistakes and learn from them and be encouraged. Uh, and I appreciate this church. You guys have supported my family on the mission field for years now. Thank you. And I appreciate your church because I know that you are shining the light of Christ here in Corona. That's important. That's encouraging to be here with a church like that. And I know that your leaders are committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise. Praise God. It's a privilege to be here and to get to share with you a little bit about what we've been doing because it's your ministry, not just ours. It's our ministry together. That's the body of Christ. And we could not be there without your support, without your prayers, without your encouragement. So thank you. Uh, you might want to know a little bit about me. I have a beautiful wife who's also tall. Her name's Nadine. If you haven't met her, I hope you get to someday. She's wonderful. We've been married uh, 28 years. We have three daughters. They're also tall. They love basketball. Uh, two of them live in Boston. Uh, one of them is teaching English as a second language to students. There's so many students in the Boston area, and she gets to teach students from all over the world. The mission field has come to her. Uh, her name's Whitney, so pray for Whitney if you think of her. Um, she's shining the light of Christ in Boston among people from every country you could think of. And her little sister, Heather, is with her there, and she's on another mission field. She decided she wanted to get a PhD in philosophy, and she somehow got herself into Harvard University. And so um, she's working on a PhD with a lot of philosophers that don't believe in God. So you could be praying for Heather uh, and praying for Harvard. I was just there this week. It was good to be with them. And my youngest, Caitlin, she's graduating from high school, and she wants to be a doctor, and she'd like to serve the Lord somewhere on the mission field. So be praying for her. I'd be praying for us because we're becoming empty nesters in September. Uh, so, but God is good. You might want to know who we serve with. We serve with a mission called Send International. A long time ago, right after World War II, it started out as the Far Eastern Gospel Crusade. Soldiers that were serving in the Pacific realized that the gospel needed to go back there. And so uh, Send International, as it later came to be known, uh, has missionaries that have worked in the Philippines and Japan and Taiwan. And uh, God has been good. God has granted a harvest in the last 50, 60 years, 70 years now. And now, by God's grace, uh, SEND is actually helping to send out Filipino Christians to uh, all the parts of the world where we work. In fact, in Macedonia, we're waiting for a recruit to show up from the Philippines. Praise God. So now, uh, Send works in Asia where they started, but in 19, well, the early 90s, Send moved into Eastern Europe, where communism had fallen, people had not had an opportunity really to hear the gospel for decades, and suddenly the Lord opened that up. It was just shortly after I got married that that happened, and Send started sending workers to the former Soviet Union and to the former Yugoslavia, which is where uh, Nadine and I ended up. Sen's mission is to mobilize God's people, to engage the unreached, 
and to establish reproducing churches. And we're in an unreached country. Uh, most people say a country is sort of reached a little bit if it has 2% of its population are born-again Christians. Then at least they have some kind of critical mass to, to start evangelizing their own people. Well, in Macedonia, estimates vary, but it's down in the half of a percent, a couple tenths of a percent of people that are born-again Christians. Well, how did that happen? Because Macedonia's in the Bible, right? Paul went there. You ever heard of the letter to the Philippians? Philippi was in Macedonia. The gospel came to Macedonia. So what's happened? Well, just a brief history, okay? Uh, go back 600 years. America hasn't even been discovered yet. Macedonia, which had been a Christian nation, really, for years, was overrun by the Ottoman Empire. Suddenly, uh, Islam became the dominant religion. And in many ways, to be a Christian meant to suffer persecution or at least uh, oppression of some sort. And so gradually, imagine 500 years under that kind of a regime. 500 years. What that would do to the church. Uh, a lot of people converted to Islam just to get a little more, a little better treatment from the authorities. In fact, uh, one people group, the Albanian people, for the most part, wholesale converted to Islam under that regime. Uh, the Macedonian people are quite proud that they, for the most part, didn't. Well, in the beginning of the 20th century, the Ottoman Empire started to crumble, and all these nations got their freedom. And they were free just about long enough to enjoy a couple of world wars. And then after World War II, communism came in. And so Macedonia was part of communist Yugoslavia. And again, Christianity was systematically repressed, and people were indoctrinated with atheism, secularism, and just a view of life that really gives no hope. So that went on for 45 years until the late 80s and early 90s. So what's the, what's the spiritual climate in Macedonia now? That's all over. They have this new freedom. Well, I guess I would describe it with a couple words. The, the climate spiritually is a little bit of apathy towards religion and at the same time a certain kind of loyalty to traditional religion. That seems like an oxymoron. How could you be loyal and apathetic at the same time? Well, uh, apathetic because a lot of people really don't believe in their traditional religion that they are by heritage, that regardless of whether it's a Christian heritage or a Muslim heritage. Um, they kind of feel like, well, that's, that's something my grandma believed in, but we all know better. You know, we were raised under communism and an afterlife, and a, a, maybe there's a higher power, but a personal God that, that you can really know is a pretty foreign to most people's thinking. So that's why they're just kind of apathetic about it. But at the same time, there's this loyalty. If you're a, a Muslim, which means you're an Albanian likely, you're loyal to that identity. And if you're a Christian, meaning an Eastern Orthodox Christian, a Macedonian, you're loyal to that identity because that means loyalty to your people. And politically, Macedonia is divided. There are about three-fourths of the population ethnic Macedonians. There are Slavic people. Uh, there are cousins to the Serbs. And they've, going back centuries, there are Christian people, Eastern Orthodox Christian people. 
and so they're loyal to that heritage because Macedonia is politically divided and the, the, the rival group is the Albanian Muslim group. And so when you're, when you're struggling politically and you are worried about your rival group in your country, it's very important to maintain your identity. So any stepping away from your religious identity is a big no-no in the culture. It makes it really hard for somebody to give the gospel a fair hearing. So Macedonia is divided. Three-fourths of the people are ethnic Macedonians, and they would, to a man, almost all say that they're an Orthodox Christian. Uh, the, the Albanians, 25% roughly, they would all say, we are Muslims. But if you start asking them about their beliefs, you'll find out that really they're quite secular. Give you an example. One of the beautiful things uh, on Easter Sunday in Macedonia, Eastern Macedonia they call Veligden, which means the great day, which I think is a really good name for that holiday. So on the great day, you wake up, and as you go out, it's probably one day in, in the year where you actually do go to church as a Macedonian, and you greet your neighbors with this historic greeting, Christ is risen. You don't say Happy Easter or Happy Veligden. You say, Christ is risen, and they answer, He is risen indeed. That's so good. I grew up saying Happy Easter, and I think it's so much better what they do. And so I like to get in a conversation with my neighbors on that day when we exchange this greeting, and I ask them, well, tell me about your hope of eternal life. How do you know if you have eternal life? And nine times out of ten, I'll get an answer something like this. Well, we don't really believe in eternal life. And I'll say, well, why not? We're Christians, right? And they say, well, whoever came back from, from the other, the afterlife to tell us if there is an afterlife. And I stop and I say, well, what's that greeting we just exchanged, right? Somebody did come back from the afterlife, and he told us about it. Well, yeah, we say that, but that's, I don't know, that's just what we say. It's kind of a tradition. I, I don't think it's really true. That's a very typical exchange for me in my neighborhood on, on Veligden, on Easter Sunday. So that's kind of the spiritual climate. Um, and we're there to share the hope we have in Christ. And Macedonia is a country that needs hope. Uh, most people think it was better under communism. At least they had a job. Uh, they had some kind of food on the table. They had some kind of prosperity. And now, when democracy has come in, it's a very corrupt version of democracy. And there's a lot of problems in the country. And most young people are giving up hope. And they're trying to get out of the country. They want to come to America or they want to get to Western Europe where everything they think is going to be ideal. But Macedonia is a people that is losing hope. They don't see much hope for a material prosperity. And they don't have enough personal faith, assurance in Christ to have hope for eternity. Very little hope. Let's see. Hey, we, do we have pictures? I don't know. There we go. Thank you, Jim. We have a map just so you can get an orientation of where Macedonia is. And you can see that to the east lies Turkey. That's where the Ottoman Empire spread out and took over. And to the west lies the country of Albania with the capital of Tirana. And so on the, in the western portion of Macedonia, there's a big population of Albanians. And then the Macedonians are more in the eastern part of the country. And where I live in the capital city of Skopje, it's a divided population. And there have been tensions. You may be aware that in 2001, there was actually some armed conflict for several weeks that went on. 
uh, and the Lord spared the country from a full-on civil war. But there is tension between the Muslim population and the Christian population, the, the Albanian population, the Macedonian population. But neither one of them has a real hope because they don't know the gospel of Christ, even if they're traditionally from a Christian heritage. Uh, can we move on to the next picture? Just to give you a little flavor of what the country looks like, that's a 1,000-year-old uh, fortress that sits atop the city of Skopje, and it dates from the Turkish times. Can we uh, keep going? There are mosques. As you go up into this fortress and you look out through the turrets, you can see several mosques around the city of Skopje if you look to the, the Albanian part of town. Next. This is a typical Albanian traditional man. Uh, his little instrument has a, the red symbol with the eagle is an Albanian flag symbol. And you can see kind of the Turkish influence that is there with his, his hat. Uh, let's move on. So this is the classic bridge of Macedonia. It's kind of the iconic stone bridge in the middle of town. It's 500 years old. They have old stuff in Macedonia. Uh, America, you know, if something's 200 years old, it's really old. But in Macedonia, it's a little bit different story. We're working with uh, Word of Hope Church in this neighborhood called Novolisice. And this is a typical neighborhood. This is actually the neighborhood where we were moved into 23 years ago. And they have lots of these high-rise apartment buildings. So it's very densely populated. And we ended up moving into the fastest-growing suburb of the city of Skopje. And at the time, it was the fastest-growing, very large. And since we've moved in, we've actually moved out of it now to a new location to start a second church. But since we got there, it's pretty much quadrupled in size. So this is the growing neighborhood of, of all of Macedonia. And they didn't have a church. Uh, and we decided the Lord wanted us to try to plant a church in this neighborhood. And so we partnered with this man, Pedro, Pastor Pedro. He came to know the Lord just before we got to Macedonia 23 years ago. Uh, some students came from Moody Bible Institute, and they taught English for free one summer. And one guy met Pedro and shared with him the gospel. Some of you guys have heard his testimony. He spoke in this church about eight years ago. And one of the things we were praying for back then when he was here as a guest was for the Lord to provide him a wife. And the Lord has answered, as you can see, not only a wife, but two little boys. And they were in our home this New Year's Eve. Traditionally, they come over and we play games on New Year's Eve and wait for the new year to come in. The interesting thing was this year they were waiting for a new baby to come in. And uh, his wife was actually having contractions in our living room as we celebrate, waited for the new year, and they left before 12 midnight. And they had uh, the first baby in the hospital where they delivered. So they got some prizes, and so that was exciting. But God has been really grooming Pedro for years, and he's become a good leader, a good preacher. And he leads this church in this neighborhood of Novolisice, the fastest-growing uh, suburb of Skopje, the fastest-growing neighborhood in all of the country. So be praying for that church. My family moved out to a different area. Um, can we go to the next slide? Okay, let's stay on the map here just for a bit because I want to get us into the scriptures tonight. So we're here with Word of Hope Church in a country that people just feel like they don't have any hope. And we want to bring hope to them. And that brings me to a verse that I come back to frequently, and that's 1 Peter 3.15. And that says, Sanctify in your hearts Christ as Lord. 
always being ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. When anyone asks about the hope that is in you, but give that defense with gentleness and reverence. We're supposed to be ready when people ask us. And then when they ask us, we're supposed to give them a gentle, loving explanation of our hope. Always be ready to make a defense. Not defensively, but to make an answer, to give an answer for the, why, why do we have a hope? And that presupposes that people should be asking us, right? So that might be a good question to ask ourselves. Who's been asking you about your hope? Who's been asking me about my hope? Is anyone asking? I, I wish they would, don't you? So how, that brings a question that I want to see an answer to in the Scripture. How can we shine our light so that people will ask us about our hope? What kinds of things do we need to do so that people will ask us about our hope? We could probably come up with several answers, but I want to give you one answer that Paul gave to the original Macedonian church, and it's found in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 14, Paul writes these words to the Macedonian Christians of his day. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So the command here is to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Or complaining. Now, I taught this passage in a home Bible study with new believers in Skopje about 10 years ago. And their response was, that's impossible to do all things without complaining. Because they're in a country where there is a lot to complain about. The worker in the workplace cannot get a fair treatment, a fair wage, constantly being a victim of injustice, uh, and even in the best of situations, making a pretty much barely above poverty and sometimes not above poverty wage. Uh, and they don't see much hope for the future. And so really, many conversations are all about complaining. And my new brothers and sisters in Christ said, that's impossible and that's crazy. In fact, if we started living like that, our friends would think we're crazy. They already think we're crazy because we're coming to this evangelical Bible study and they think we're in a cult. And now, if we refuse to complain and join in those kinds of conversations, they're going to just write us off as crazy. And I remember being very frustrated coming home. These people are not listening to the Word of God. Uh, But in a sense, they were right. It's sort of crazy when life is so bad to say, I'm going to live without complaining. It's crazy unless, unless as a Christian, I really believe what I say I believe. That changes things. We say a lot of things that we believe. We believe we have eternal life. We believe that God's son tasted death for us so that we can live forever. We believe what Peter wrote in his epistle, that we are born again to a living hope 
to an imperishable inheritance. We believe what Paul said. He said, what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And we could, we could all go around the room and quote other verses, things we believe. We have every reason to live life with joy, even in difficulty, to live life without grumbling or disputing, even though some people might think we're crazy. Now, I wonder sometimes about the original Macedonian church. Like, did they obey this command from Paul? Did they... Did they say he was crazy? Did they, what did they do? But I do know that Paul wasn't just blowing smoke. He actually lived that. And I would like us to see that in Acts 16, where the gospel came to Macedonia. And you probably are familiar with this story, but I want to look at it briefly. Just for the backdrop, to not read the whole thing, let me give you the backdrop. Paul comes to a new town, happens to be in a place called Philippi, Macedonia, and he starts preaching the gospel, and there's this uh, demon-possessed fortune teller girl who's following him around and saying stuff. Some of it's even true. He's saying, these, are from the God. these people are from the Most High God. And, but it's very irritating to Paul, and eventually he turns around and he casts out the demon. And uh, that seems like a really cool thing to do, except the people that were making money off her didn't think that it was so cool. And so they attacked him. And here's what it says in verse 22. The crowd rose up together against them. Paul and Silas were together, so against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they commanded the jailer to guard them securely and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened them, fastened their feet in the stocks. If ever there was a moment for some grumbling and complaining, this was it. I think that's what I would have done. As a good American, I probably would have been threatening to sue, flashing my Roman citizenship card. Uh, but that's not what we see Paul doing. It says... About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Wow. Just stop and try to imagine that scene for a minute. They've got a captive, literally captive audience, but they're not singing to an audience. They're singing sincere praises to God instead of complaining, instead of whining, and probably some people thought they were crazy, but maybe some people thought something else about them. And then what is really cool is that God decides to get in the action and other stuff happens. It says, suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all 
here. Paul is shining the light of Christ. He's sticking around when he doesn't have to. Just, and he wants to save this guy from killing himself. But not only is Paul still around, but for some crazy reason, all the other prisoners are still there. Like, why didn't they escape while they had the chance? Maybe they were impacted by this crazy person singing praises in the stocks. I don't know. But as it goes on, the jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Don't you wish somebody would ask you that tomorrow at work? Chris, what should I do to be saved? (laughs) That is the moment when evangelism suddenly is like easy. Somebody's asking you, what must I do to be saved? Tell me about your hope. How did they get there? Well, Paul was shining the light in a very difficult situation. And suddenly it was easy to share about his hope. And he just lays it out there in verse 31. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Praise God. I want to have that kind of impact on people. I want to have those kind of opportunities where somebody just comes up and says, tell me about your hope. Tell me how I can be saved. Well, I think one big factor is just backing it up and how am I living? Am I shining the light? Am I shining forth with joy? Jesus said, he said the stuff he said to his disciples, and he said, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We have a lot of reasons to be fully joyful. But if you're like me, we don't always feel it. But by God's grace, we can cultivate that in our hearts. We can choose to meditate on who God is and what he's done for us. And we can shine the light, and we can really up the chances that somebody is going to ask us about our hope. And we can be ready to give an answer when that inquiry comes. That's my challenge to you today, to cultivate that kind of joy. By God's grace, to lay aside the grumbling and complaining that we're all tempted to do. And to be ready for those inquiries to be eagerly waiting for somebody to ask you what they can do to be saved. I gave myself an assignment last year to memorize a a psalm that I had decided I really liked, Psalm 103. Uh, So I worked on that all year, and that meant I had to just be repeating it every day to myself to, to not forget it. And it really changed my attitude. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. How easily we forget his benefits. He pardons all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit 
He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. And he satisfies our years with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagle. And the psalm goes on about the goodness of God. I challenge you to pick something like that to focus on and ask God to help you shine like a light in this world. And then be ready for God to do something and be ready for somebody to ask you. I want to tell you a little bit about some of the things that God's been doing in Macedonia. I've only got 10 minutes left, I think, or so. Can I uh, ask for another picture, Jim? Thank you. There's my lovely wife, Nadine. She's a nurse, and uh, in the little church that we've started that meets in a little rented storefront, one of the things we did to just meet people and show the love of Christ is she decided we could offer free blood pressure checks. Very simple. Stethoscope, whole thing there. And then we got some donations from a, doc, a Christian doctor, and we were able to offer free blood sugar testing. And so we just put out a sign. The nurse is in every Friday morning for an hour and a half. And people started wandering in a little bit, two, three, four people. Well, we've been doing that for about seven years. We've seen over 300 people. Some of them are regulars. Some of them we've seen a couple times. It's just our way to just show a little bit of love and care. See, we're planning a church in an area where people look at us as a cult, They don't trust us, Um, and so we're building trust. After a number of years, people in our neighborhood know, okay, I don't go to that church, but they're not so scary. They help our old people. They love us. Um, Anything that we can do to to build those bridges of trust. Uh, Let's go to the next one. There we go. Let me tell you about the lady in the foreground in the red and white shirt. Her name's Ilvanka. Uh, She came to an English class. She was in her mid-50s, really didn't have a whole lot of ability and language, but she wanted to get out of the house and meet new people. She had a difficult life at home, a very, very difficult husband. (laughs) Uh, And so she came to our English classes. We often have guests from America that come and help us do English classes. She came, and she got invited to church. And she says uh, that she came as a skeptic, because she'd heard about our church from the gossip. She came as a skeptic, but as she was sitting in the church service, She said she was listening to the preaching from the Bible, and she felt like a voice from God just said to her, you need this. And she came, and she kept coming. She started getting flack from her husband. Why are you going to that cult? And neighbors. And she would say, well, if you're so worried about it, come with me and see what it's like. And she just had a gift for answering people that were were on her case. And she would invite them, and she would offer them Bibles. She said she's given out over 20 Bibles in the last few years, and she's invited a lot of people to church. She had a sister in another city, uh, about three-hour drive away, so they didn't see each other very often, and her sister and her sister's husband heard about Ilvanka's new religion, and they were not very happy to hear about it. They were suspicious, and they started in on her, and so she just kept praying for them, and uh, our church, we have uh, two churches and kind of a budding house church that are kind of all sister churches now. And so we've started doing little retreats in the summer together to kind of build relationships between the various congregations. And we did a retreat in the mountains near her sister's city. So she invited her sister and her husband to come up and see the beautiful spot where we were all staying. And then she invited them to stay for the evening gathering where we were hearing a sermon. And uh, they started softening up to the message. Well, a long story short, they got baptized before Ilvanka did. Uh, and now uh, her sister has since gone on to be with the Lord. 
But uh, her brother-in-law is now leading worship in the church in his town, and he's just a dear brother to us, all because they saw change in Ilvanka, and she prayed persistently, and other people came into their lives that the Lord had sent. Gradually, they started to ask about the hope that they were seeing in other people. Uh, let's get one more picture here, because here there's some, a few people I want to tell you about. A lot of people have already asked me tonight about the refugee crisis. You guys know that we were uh, right in the pathway of literally tens and hundreds of thousands of Syrian, Iraqi, and Afghani refugees in the last two years. Now that's kind of that's past now, but in 2015 and 16 and part of 17, we were handing out bananas and hard-boiled eggs and all kinds of stuff to desperate people fleeing from war. Uh, and here around the table with us, this is last Easter at our house, uh, if you look in the foreground on uh, that side, uh, I don't know what side, oh, that side. <laughs> uh, if you look at the young lady in the foreground, uh, her name is Rama, and she's from Aleppo, Syria. Across the table from her is her little brother who's in high school. His name is Jihad. And sitting next to me in the back is Safwat, their big brother. And I met them in uh, April of 2016 in a big field of mud. Thousands of refugees coming through Macedonia. We were feeding them for months. And I know that uh, many of our supporting churches, including you, had made donations to make it possible for us to buy those kind of quantities of food. And uh, so we were feeding thousands of people. I think in one two-month period, we handed out about 100,000 hard-boiled eggs, if you could believe that. Uh, and just offering something in the name of Jesus, occasionally we'd have conversations. We were able to hand out a few things of literature plant some seeds. Well, at one point, the border closed. Uh, the Germans finally said, stop, no more refugees. And so everybody to the south did the same thing. They closed their borders. And then the Serbian border closed. And there were about 400 refugees from Syria who had left Macedonia on the northern border, but they got turned back at the Serbian border. You know, there's always a no man's land in between two countries. And so they got turned back, and then the Macedonians wouldn't let them back. And they were stuck in this open area of dirt in no man's land. And then it started to rain and rain, and they were stuck in the mud. And uh, some, some different uh, relief groups came in and brought in pup tents, but it was a crazy scene. Uh, and these three siblings were stuck in one of those tents, sinking in the mud, and that's where we met them. I was out there one day trying to hand out boxes of bananas and... Uh, I found out that handing out humanitarian aid is not very simple because you, you have to do crowd control and people are desperate and you're trying to get everybody one thing and there are people trying to button line, push and shove. And, and if it's in the mud, you're sinking in the mud and you're it's just all kinds of logistical problems. And Safwat, the older brother that's sitting next to me in the picture, he was the one guy that was standing in line and not pushing and shoving. And uh, he waited his turn and he kind of gave me a little bit of crowd control help and then at the end, he said, you're not doing this very well. <laughs> and I said, well, if I come back tomorrow, will you help me? And he said, okay. And so he started helping us, and we became friends. And now, uh, most of the refugees have left the country. Some have gone back to their original country. Some have somehow made it up to Germany. But Safwat and Rama and Jihad have stayed in Skopje, uh, and they the Lord has provided for them to have a place to live, and so we have regular contact with them. 
So you can be praying for them. They've heard the gospel. Uh, Safwat has even expressed some kind of faith, interest, uh, and the others uh, are open. Uh, In fact, this dinner we had was an Easter dinner, and we got to read the Easter story with them, and they asked questions about Jesus dying and Jesus rising again. That's very foreign to them. Uh, And so be praying for them. Uh, Between Safwat and me, uh, on the other side of me in the picture, is a lady named Jacqueline, who's in our church now. And she came to Christ about two years ago. Right during the refugee crisis, we had a student visiting from Chile. He was doing a Bible college internship in Macedonia. And we often offer conversational English classes as a way to have people come into our church and meet us. And we thought, well, let's try conversational Spanish. Uh, And actually, some people are interested, uh, mostly women, because they uh, typically there watch foreign soap operas, and some of them are in Spanish. (laughs) So we had this Spanish class, and Dario from Chile showed up and waited for his students, and 12 ladies showed up, uh, and he started teaching them Spanish. And then uh, I decided he could preach in our church. I thought that would be a good experience for him. I said, hey, would you like to preach? We actually have a teammate who grew up in in Costa Rica as a missionary kid, and she speaks Macedonian and Spanish. She can translate, and so Dario preached uh, a sermon in our church in Spanish, and he invited all his Spanish students, and one of them came, and that was Jacqueline, and she was really amazed at what she saw in the church, just people that were full of joy and love and were excited about hearing God's word, and she kept coming back. Today, she's a member of our church. She's been, during the refugee crisis, she would go up and help us reach out to refugees. So God is working God does things. It's up to us to be ready and to be shining our light and to be expecting God to do something. Um, Let's go to the last slide, I think it is. There we go. I wanted you guys to have my email because I'd love to hear from you. Um, We'd love to have you praying for us. I know that many of you already do, but we send out regular updates about what's going on in Macedonia. So if you want to get that update, just write me at that address and say, I'd like to get the Spradley email updates, and then you'll know what to pray for. And if you want me to pray for you, you send me and something, I'll pray for you, and that would be great. Uh, The other thing we're doing is we are recruiting, and we're starting a ministry with the Muslims among the Albanians. I've been working with Macedonians all these years, And uh, there have been some people working with Albanians, but it's even a more difficult ministry, and many of them have burned out and gone home, and there's been a lot of attrition. And our mission has finally developed a small team that is trying to reach Albanians. And there's one city that is like the biggest Albanian city in Macedonia. It's totally unreached. There's a lot of spiritual resistance in a lot of ways. We just feel like we need a ton of prayer for that city. Uh, So if you'd like to commit to praying for that city specifically, then you could write me and tell me that because um, we've decided that one of the planks of our strategy for that city is we need a 1,000 prayer partners just for that city. And that means you'd be committing to praying once a week for the city of Tivo. That's actually shortened for the city of Tetovo. We kind of try to keep this under the radar when we're sending out emails and things. But if you'd like to pray for that city and for the people that are trying to start a ministry among Albanian Muslims in that city, then you can tell me that in my email, and I will connect you with the people 
that send out a weekly email of prayer requests for that particular city. Right now, I think we have about 500 people that have signed up to pray weekly for that city. And we're hoping to get to 1,000 as soon as possible. So if you'd like to be part of that, just let me know. Um, I had an opportunity to do an interesting project in the last few months. I'll just tell you about it as I close. I got to do an ethnographic research project, which basically just means doing a people study. And we did a study of Macedonian conversion stories. We did 30 interviews of Macedonians who were first-generation believers who came to Christ. They didn't grow up in the church. They're just people in our country, Macedonians, that have come to Christ. And we wanted to know their story. Like, how did you come to Christ in this country where it's so hard? Uh, what were the barriers? What, like, what attracted you to an evangelical church or Bible study or whatever? And what were some of the barriers that you had to overcome, and how did you overcome them? So we started doing interviews uh, Ilvanka that you met in the video, in the pictures, she was one of them. Jacqueline was one of them. Uh, and the answers were really very enlightening for us. Uh, I actually have a few copies of the report that we wrote up after we analyzed all the different answers. But one of the big takeaways for me that I want to leave with you, it's a big takeaway in our culture in Macedonia, I think it, a lot of it applies here, is that all these people, all 30 of them came because somebody invited them personally. They had some connection to a person who showed them some love and then invited them, and they came. And like Ilvanka, some of them were opposed at the beginning. And she just said, well, come and see. Check it out. If you don't like it, you don't have to come twice. Come and see. Even the first disciples, right? One of them said, hey, come. We found the Messiah from Nazareth. And the other one says, well, Nazareth, that doesn't sound good. How can anybody good come out of Nazareth? And he said, well, just come and see. And I realize I need to do more of that. Just come and see. And if I'm shining my light, and people know that I'm not a whiner and a grumbler, but I'm actually shining the light of Christ, they're going to be more likely to come when I invite them. And so I've made a commitment. I'm going to invite people more. I mean, I'm a missionary. I'm supposed to invite people, and I do. But, but after doing this study, I realized, you know, I need to do that more consistently, more often, more people. Uh, there are guys that won't normally come to our church, but when it's my turn to preach, if I just say, hey, I'm preaching this Sunday, I'd love to have you come hear me. You know, you're my friend. It'd be an honor. Come. And sometimes they'll come. Last time I preached in Skopje, I invited five guys and two came. Praise the Lord. Come and see. Just come and see. Let's be people that live lives that shine the light of Christ. And let's be ready, expecting people to ask us and being ready when they ask us about our hope. And then let's reach out sometimes and say, hey, come and see. I think that could work in Corona. It's starting to work in Macedonia. So please be praying for us. We pray for you. We love you. We really appreciate your partnership.